Corteva AgroScience provides cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. Today on Ag News Daily. So it's unlikely that they see uh, derecho effects or some of these pod drawing drought monitors. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another Market Monday conversation coming to you today from Tanner and Delaney, sponsored today by Corteva. Tanner, it's great to be back today after a weird week last week with the holidays. You're right. Weird week is probably a very good way to put it. And then it felt like the weekend went too fast. So not only did we have a quick week, we had a quick weekend. And here we are back again Monday afternoon. Absolutely, Tanner. I figured you probably wanted to hit weather headlines off the bat here. So why don't you dig in for us? I've got a few Boy. myself. Yeah, I don't want to steal any of your thunder, but there's some strange things happening uh, weather-wise. We still have another low-pressure system, almost a U-shape, pushing down from Canada, which is going to create a trough of low pressure. That brings us more smoke again. So the wildfires are continuing to burn at record levels, and now we will see uh, parts of the Great Lakes and northeastern U.S. regions get some more smoke coming down from Canada. But then we have our Florida friends in the path of potential dust storm. So the South Florida area is not completely disappointed in the Saharan dust storm season because it's knocking down the potential for hurricanes and also creating some really pretty sunsets. But there is a massive Florida-bound dust plume that is currently being monitored by atmospheric scientists, and they are looking to continue to watch to see how much of an impact this might have. And now, of course, our southern friends just can't seem to catch a break, whether it's a lot of rain in Kansas or record heat temps that are going to be hitting our southwest. Triple-digit heat is set to grip that area for this week and will continue to provide problems. Of course, this is drawing comparisons to how hot it was in Europe last summer to be very careful for those that are going to go outdoors because the peak heat could cause health problems. Did I steal any of yours, Delaney? No, I think most of mine were untouched there, Tanner. I wanted to also share listeners that the Midwest will be heating up as well here around the 19th through the 24th of the month while also leaning drier and maybe not going to get quite as hot as the Southwest, but nonetheless, temps are going to be heating up, Tanner. But as we look at June in reflection here, there were quite a few wild storms that came through in the month of June from tornadoes to significant wind storms like the derecho that we saw, hail and weird amounts of precipitation in some areas. But we finished June headed into July with 17 of the top 18 corn growing states facing some sort of significant drought to start the month of July, Tanner. So we're certainly starting things out here with a boom. And we're also heading into July here with winter wheat harvest well underway. As of July 2nd, we saw quite a bit of the nation's wheat crop is starting to get out of the ground. And I'm sure on today's crop progress report, we'll have more to report, but also the conditions as to the wheat that is coming out of the fields. Uh, For the first time ever, we planted wheat on my husband's family farm and we got pretty good yields, Tanner. I'm not thinking that some of those yields will be coming out of Kansas, Texas, and some of those other areas. 
yeah, it's been interesting because we talk the extra rainfall that they've got and we see a lot of weed pressure in Kansas, but then, you know, it, it's just been a goofy spring for weather as we've got extreme flooding going on in New York. So a lot of weird headlines coming out of the weekend, but also a new headline coming out of Germany. Bayer might be ridding itself of its crop science division. So this comes from a German news source that the they may be spinning off crop science division, which is based in St. Louis, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis, in an effort to improve its financial standings. This email was provided to Farm Journal, so they are the ones reporting on this for us today. Bayer has long been plagued by Roundup-related lawsuits after its $63 billion purchase of the ag seeds and pesticide maker Monsanto went askew. The purchase burdened Bayer with billions of dollars of expense and fighting claims. Most of those obviously are lawn and garden retail sector related, but they are tied to the cause of cancer. At that time, Monsanto's purchase in 2018 hailed was a great day for the company and its customers, but ultimately has been a drag since then. And Bayer lost its first trial to the alleged cancer risk in 2018. And the company then won six consecutive trial victories, followed by a couple other setbacks. So now we'll continue to watch here and see if they will offload their crop science division. Bayer could indemnify the new owners against the cost of future litigation up to a certain point, but ultimately that would be one way for them to uh, wipe their hands. And if I looked at the market reports today, it looks like Bayer's stocks were up based upon this news. Yeah, I saw that piece of news as well, Tanner, and thought that was interesting to diverge uh, that entire sector of their business, since that is one of the key staples of Bayer. Yeah, absolutely. But also could be one of the largest expenses, as they described. Absolutely. But USDA has officially launched that they are releasing a $2.2 billion program to remedy discrimination. Tanner, as part of this administration's focus, the USDA is taking applications from farmers, ranchers, and forest landowners for a share of $2.2 billion to fund and compensate, they say, victims of discrimination in USDA farm lending programs from previous years and beyond. Congress created the fund last year after lawsuits stemmed from a debt relief plan aimed at farmers of color, and they said the opening of the application process is an important step in delivering on their commitment of providing financial assistance to those who face discrimination in USDA farm lending. Specifically, they'll be looking at helping farmers, uh, Black, Hispanic, Native American descent, and women farmers over the past generation. The maximum payment in the new Discrimination Financial Assistance Program, or DFAP, is $500,000, and applicants have until October 31st to be accepted. That sounds like good news. We're potentially seeing more news come out of Russia and Ukraine. President Joe Biden and British Prime Minister agreed to maintain support for Ukraine in a meeting this morning. They are stating that this is a release ahead of a critical NATO summit. Ukraine is expected to be top of the agenda, obviously, as all the members there discuss its alliance and need for more ammunitions. Ukraine's foreign minister says that NATO has agreed to speed up Kiev's application process. But Biden is warning that the war must end before NATO should consider Ukraine. 
However, Turkey's president says the country's path to EU membership should be cleared before Sweden's NATO candidacy. But Ukraine is continuing to report victories. The military claimed it has liberated now 169 square kilometers, more than 65 square miles of territory in the south since May. As Russian forces are continuing to push east, they are continuing to push back. So we'll continue to monitor the progress that we see Ukraine make or potentially what type of rebuttal Russia will have now to those advancements. And as a friendly reminder to our listeners, we have just under a week left in the current grain initiative deal. And Tanner, allegedly, rumors are circulating that Ukraine and Turkey are trying to aim for a two-year extension. But as we know, Russia hasn't even wanted to do a 120-day extension, let alone multiple years. So uh, I think it sounds like Ukraine is also looking at a plan B soon. Yes, that's uh, going to be interesting to see how traders react to that. Probably a question we can ask in today's discussion. I've got one last unique headline. Wheat Wheat harvest, as we discussed, has wrapped up, especially on Tom Watersfields in Oric, Missouri, nearly a week ago. But before he completed his harvest, he took to his field to create a blank space canvas. If I say blank space, Delaney, does that ring a bell for any type of pop star? I mean, I'm probably the worst person at pop culture, so no. He created a field size image of Taylor Swift using the blank space in his field to welcome Taylor Swift to Kansas City as she had a concert coming. So you should go to AgWeb and see the image. He had started making corn mazes 23 years ago. He became a uh, very friendly person with how GPS can be used in crop art. And then Stauffer teamed up with Tom Waters to use his precision maze technology to create a very likeness of Taylor Swift in a wheat field. So go out there and take a look at that on AgWeb. Quite an interesting story. He must really like Taylor Swift. (laughs) Or he's just looking for fame. Either way, uh, you know, political Candidates are also looking for fame, Tanner, as we move into the presidential election season at a rally in Council Bluffs over the weekend. Former President Trump uh, started firing shots at President or excuse me, at uh, Governor DeSantis, who right now is noted as the most viable challenger for the Republican presidential nomination as of right now, according to early polls. But shots were fired when President Trump who directed $23 billion in bailouts to farmers to offset a decline in ag exports, uh, was said by former President Trump that I fought for Iowa ethanol like no president in history. He also went on to say that Governor DeSantis totally, he says, quote, totally despises Iowa ethanol and ethanol generally. So it sounds like President Trump took to really trying to lay the groundwork here. Um, to try and get DeSantis thrown out in a lot of Iowa farmers' minds. But Tanner, I know a lot of the farmers I've talked to have really liked some of the policy that DeSantis uh, has put forward so far. And I know we don't have officially his run for candidacy yet, but he's kind of the front runner right now. Yeah, I think we're going to get a lot of political headlines here over the next couple of months. And we'll continue to take a pulse of our listeners and obviously those in the ag industry to see where things shape up. Speaking of where things are shaping up, where are markets looking to close at today? 
Well, markets definitely are pushing higher here as we head into the close, Tanner. And we've got a WASD report on Wednesday that's coming out. And we'll get some take on this from Boyd Brooks coming up here during our Market Monday segment. But it's highly unlikely that USDA typically adjusts yield in the month of July when you look at past reports. But that's the big question on many analysts' minds this month is, will USDA change yield? The last time they did that, I believe, was 2012 when we had, of course, the extreme drought there. And we'll watch to see what analysts are expecting here. But as, like I said, we head into the final close of today's markets, September corn added four and a half cents at 491, 492. Tanner, today corn, September corn closed five cents higher on the board at 592 and a quarter. Dece new crop corn also added five cents to close at 499 and a half, not quite breaking above the $5 mark. August soybeans added 27 and three quarters cents at 14.55 and a half. Nove new crop beans closed at tw- closed up 27 and three quarters cents at 13.45 and a half. In the wheat pits here today, they saw a little weakness as the September hard red winter wheat contract shed seven cents at 8.11. And taking a look at the livestock markets here. August live cattle added 20 cents at a buck 77.20. August feeder cattle added 82 and a half cents at $2.46.25. And August lean hogs shed 97 and a half cents today at 94.17 and a half. Tanner, we are chatting with Boyd Brooks today of Consus ROI on this Market Monday afternoon. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. Well, folks, we are chatting today with Boyd Brooks of Consus ROI. Boyd, today's market certainly had a lot of excitement in the corn and soybean pits. What was going on today? Yeah, I think you're seeing a little bit of uh, a rebound from the, um, you know, reaction after the big report and kind of coming back to where we started. Um, Beans have been volatile. I mean, we've gone up, uh, you know, two and a half bucks, dropped a dollar, came back 80 cents. So they're kind of all over the place. Um, I think there was some talk that uh, there was some soybean oil uh, buying going on, kind of leading the charge there. So uh, beans are an interesting dynamic. We've also seen some Chinese purchases off the PNW for new crops. So that the Chinese are starting to be a little more active. Um, they've been buyers out of Brazil for beans. The corn market seems to be just kind of called in, called in the doldrums um, after that additional 2 million acres uh, on the June 30th report, you know, we've traded $5 at some point during the day for six straight sessions. So uh, it seems to be a magnet there for, for corn for a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting to see all the little factors because I saw the headline about palm oil 
driving up soybean oil, obviously that pushed into the soybean market. It's it's fascinating how a market we may not think about has such an impact. Yeah, I mean the uh, the global vegetable oil market is way bigger than U.S. crush capacity, um, and there's can be quite a few substitutes in there. So what we've seen with all these renewable plants coming online is that the U.S. is going to have to crush uh, or use more uh, soy oil domestically, but those are not online yet. So as we see palm oil spike or you know, uh, heating oil or anything else that's going on in, in the oil market, it kind of affects the beans as well. And I think you've got some some folks looking at, um, at least in the bean market, you know, that tight balance sheet that, that's probably going to pr- be presented on Wednesday and kind of thinking, all right, this was maybe an opportunity to get in before that number comes out. Boyd, I'm glad you mentioned Wednesday's was to report because the burning question in a lot of people's minds is, will USDA touch yield numbers on Wednesday's report? So history would tell you no. Um, if you look back over, I think, the last 25 years, the only time they've adjusted yield has been in a late planted year uh, for corn. Don't think they will touch the bean yield at all. It's way too early for them to uh, to do that unless they see some dramatic double crop acres that that from that June 30th report, maybe you get a small adjustment there, but it's probably unlikely at this point. So going back to the corn, I mean, we're at 181 for trend. I think the average trade guess is around 176. Um, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, they're just going to try to balance the balance sheet by cutting demand. It's a valid question um, because if they present a number without a reduction in yield, then we're going to see probably something close to a 3 billion bushel carryout. Now, with that being said, I do think that the market has anticipated that and the market's probably pricing in something closer to a 175 to 177. So regardless of if if they change it on Wednesday, I think the market's kind of going ahead and anticipating that because of some of the dryness that we've seen. Yeah, that's the the interesting factor that you know probably won't show up in this week's report, but that's the weather. You know, the the pockets of dryness, the areas that have gotten substantial moisture, and then the results of the Drecho just a week and a half ago. It's interesting to see what they're going to do with the weather we've been dealt. Yeah, typically they're going to kind of use data uh, that's probably a couple weeks old uh, when they're putting these yield numbers together. So it's unlikely that they see uh, derecho effects or some of these pockets of dryness, drought monitor. Um, it, it will be interesting to see if they do come in and change it. It would be, like I said, kind of unprecedented for a normally uh, or an on-time planted year, uh, but it, it's the USDA and it, you never can tell. So Boyd, heading into the report on Wednesday, what are you recommending folks do? Are you recommending they short positions, go long, go short? Historically, trying to predict that in front of a report, I've been very bad. Um, at this point, I would say probably don't trade the number, trade the reaction to the number. But if we look out a little farther, I think, you know, technically corn is due for a bounce. Um, probably looking at that 525 to 530 range is that's kind of the starting point there uh, where we could go back to and retrace some of the losses that we've seen. 
in beans, um, again, it, it's going to be all about the balance sheet. And going forward, it's not only the U.S. balance sheet, but it's South American weather and South American planning pace and Chinese demand. I, I think it's a good sign that the Chinese have started to uh, step up and buy some beans. Probably gives you an indication that they may be a little bit concerned about the world balance sheet going forward as well. Um, so no specific recommendations in front of the report that I would say uh, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But I do think corn ultimately um, without any major problems is probably lower uh, in the fall low than it is today. Beans is still a wild card with the August weather coming up. So we've talked a lot of corn and soybeans. What about our wheat market? Wheat market's an interesting one because the funds are still short, I think about 55,000 as of last Tuesday. And I'm speaking strictly to Chicago wheat there. Uh, the funds don't play a whole lot in uh, Kansas City and Minneapolis. There's still a lot of questions about what's happening in Russia, Ukraine. Um, there's questions about the Australian crop potentially uh, being a little bit lighter there. Globally, there's no shortage of wheat. It's just, is it in the right spot at the right time? If we continue to see some weakness in the dollar, um, we continue to see some strength in oil and other commodities as we try to shake off a recession, then maybe with a, you know, a bullish headline from, from Ukraine or Russia, I know there's, there's talk about uh, they're, they're not going to renew the uh, corridor, green corridor deal. So, you know, you get that bullish headline overnight and wheat's up 30. Uh, longer term, there's really no, you know, huge bullish story in wheat, but I think it's over, uh, or the funds are extremely short and probably send pop on, on some type of news item. So Boyd, as far as other things going on this week, any other big headlines our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, like you said at the beginning, it's kind of all about the weather and, and the USDA report on on Wednesday. I think looking down the road a little bit, it's going to be interesting to kind of watch and see, do the Chinese start to buy some uh, Brazilian corn? I think they're about 27% harvested on their safrina crop, and values there have been firming up a little bit as some of those farmers have moved uh, soybeans and started to store a little bit more corn. So I'm kind of watching that South American cash market to see what happens there um, and see if the Chinese interest is real in corn. I think they're, they've got a pocket in their main growing region that's pretty dry. And so uh, their prices have firmed domestically in China. So we may see another, um, I'm not going to say a repeat of 2020, but it's something that definitely keep an eye on if you're in the corn market is is China buying corn? If so, where are they buying it from and how much are they buying? I think that's going to be a big key to the corn market going forward. Well, Boyd, we really appreciate you hanging out with us on this Market Monday. If our listeners want to reach out to you or follow along, what's the best way for them to track you down? Yeah, just go to our website, consistroi.com, or uh, I'm UK Corn Trader on Twitter. Um, and uh, give us a shout if we can be of any help. Awesome. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thank you, guys. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. There you go. It's always good to catch up. Been a while since we've had a solid market Monday just due to weird calendar schedules. So always good to get our finger on the pulse. We'll see what Wednesday brings us. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.